Happy New Year, Rebel. This year has gotten off to an interesting start. An election in Georgia, an insurrection at the Capitol. It is definitely anything other than business as usual. And before I go into this week's episode, I want to just say that that's okay. You can ease back into the new year. Gently and slowly, especially with all that is going on in the world. And with that, this episode is a perfect way to start your year. And I was wondering, what kind of relationship do you have with goal setting? My relationship has always been a bit fraught. If I set a goal and I miss that goal by the teeniest, tiniest amount, I have failed. That would let me beat myself up for missing the goal. And then I learned, according to how I'm designed, I'll be talking about human design in a future episode with a guest, that I'm kind of more of a go-with-the-flow type person. It's all about how that goal feels to me rather than an exact number. Honestly, if my goal was to make $10,000 from a launch and I made $9,872 from it, it's still hitting the goal, really. The other thing that changed my relationship with goal setting forever is an idea that Tara McMullen of the What Works Network shared around creating commitments to guide your life and business instead of adhering to the strict goal setting that we do every time this year. And this blew my mind. So I invited Tara on the show to talk about the commitment blueprint, how she developed the idea that was helping her in her own life and transformed it into an offer that people can't get enough of. So before we dive in a little bit about Tara, she is a trusted small business strategist and the founder of What Works. She's also the host of the What Works podcast, which I highly recommend, Great Pod, the co-founder of Yellow House Media, a podcast production agency and consultancy. Tara has over a decade of experience guiding small business owners to think bigger and take decisive action. Her work has been featured in Fast Company, Forbes, Inc., Creative Live, and Copyblogger. Fun fact, Tara was one of my first business coaches, and I've been working with her in various capacities for almost a decade now. And I love how she developed her idea of the commitment blueprint. And if you stick around to the end, I'll be sharing what my commitments are for 2021, the commitments that are going to drive my life and business. So don't miss that. I'll listen to the end. Now let's dive in. listening to the Rebel Uprising podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping passionate business owners become recognized leaders who make more money and impact the world by turning their messy, complicated ideas into thriving thought leadership businesses. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Mazer, and I'll be your no BS guide in the art of building a business that gets noticed. Each week, I share strategies, tools, and insights on how to turn your 
complicated ideas into great messaging and solid business structures. Are you ready to create an uprising in your industry? Let's do this. Welcome, Tara, to the Rebel Uprising podcast. I'm so excited that you're here with us today. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Yes. The reason that I wanted to have you on the show is because you are my first guest for 2021. And at this time of the year, we're always hearing the, your best year ever, set your goals, smart goals, and all of that kind of crap. <laughs> and, and what I love is that you have a radical alternative to goal setting called the Commitment Blueprint. So can you tell us a little bit about the commitment blueprint and the process around it? Absolutely. So first, I should say that I am probably the least likely candidate for developing a quote unquote <laughs> radical alternative to goal setting <laughs> that there could be. I am an extremely goal oriented, achievement oriented, accomplishment oriented kind of person as many small business owners and entrepreneurs are as many ambitious people are period. But what I started to realize probably three or four years ago, four years ago, for sure, because it was right around the last election, was that I had let my goal setting dictate my action. And you might think, okay, that isn't that what it's supposed to do. Sure, it is. But the problem was that I was setting goals for goals sake instead of setting goals that actually helped me get the things that I wanted, do the things that I wanted and create the life that I wanted to live. And I'm sure that is probably a pretty familiar story mm -hmm. for a lot of people. We live these narratives of what our lives are supposed to look like. And we set these goals of for what our lives are supposed to look like, the college that we're supposed to go to, the major we're supposed to have, the job that we're going to get, the relationship, the kids, the all the things, the house, the picket mm -hmm. fence. And very rarely do we really stop to tune in and say, is, is this really where I want to spend my energy? Is this yeah. really the container for the life that I want to have, the business that I want to have? And so I have found myself very much in that position, having done all sorts of really cool things that I am incredibly proud of and having done lots of really good work that I am also incredibly proud of. But feeling like, I don't know if this is really what I want to be doing. Hey there, I wanted to pause the interview and tell you something that I think is very important from what Tara has just said. So many times we let marketing messages dictate what our goals should be instead of tuning into our own inner compass, our own inner knowing, and really thinking about what kind of life we're looking for. So think about that for yourselves. Where are marketing messages, whether it's the six-figure business or making money from your beach, really driving what your goals are? And should those actually be your goals? I'm going to let Tara continue. So I... At that point, that was the end of 2016, I started to take a look and say, what am I going to do instead? And I honestly didn't have a lot of answers. So I started to tune into what I thought I wanted my life to look like. And I didn't know how to set goals for that. I didn't know what those like accomplishments necessarily looked like. I just started 
doing things differently. I started to commit, I started committing to different things. And that led me to a process of essentially eschewing goals and just focusing on how I wanted to spend my time and energy. So the process itself is really a process of tuning in to an sort of an inner compass, which is Mm -hmm. what your commitments are, and then building a life, and in my case, business plan from there, really understanding the kinds of actions that I want to be taking, the kind of projects that I want to be working on, the way I want to be spending my time and energy to experience the things that I want to experience. And not only that, but to show up in the ways that I want to show up. Because it's not all about just feeling good. Sometimes it's about feeling really uncomfortable and scared, but knowing that those are the actions, that's the kind of direction that I need to take my life and my work in order to get to the destination that I have in mind. So the process walks you through all of those different pieces. Mm -hmm. And it's really coming up with the process has been a four-year process. It was not something that just came to me fully formed. It was something that took a long time and a lot of tuning in and a lot of refinement to even understand what I was doing differently with my own quote-unquote goal setting and then create a process that someone else could follow to get uh, to take a different look at their own goal setting and planning process. Ooh, this is great. There's so much to unpack here. So the first thing I think would be helpful is, can you give us some examples of the commitments that you've been following in 2020? Or if you know what you're doing in 2021, you can share those too. (laughs) My 2021 commitments are starting to take form, but it's definitely easier (laughs) to tell you what my 2021s are. So the first commitment for 2020 was embrace uncertainty, which has certainly come in handy. I could talk Mm -hmm. more about that. The second one was question normal. And the third one was expect success. And those three commitments have, not only were they incredibly prescient back in December 2019, January 2020, um, but they really have helped me tune into how I wanted to conduct myself this year when so much felt up in the air. I mean, obviously, embracing uncertainty was very useful in terms of leaning into what I, when I didn't know what was going to happen next, and also some big decisions that I needed to make about just recalibrating how we were serving people and the plans that we had made this year. And so that was super helpful. Question normal for me was all about rethinking my defaults, rethinking my assumptions, noticing when I got into thought patterns that excluded difference mm. so that I could create more a more inclusive worldview and stop assuming that just because I think one way about something or my experiences have been something that surely that must be everybody. Yes. Uh, Again, with this year, that has been incredibly helpful and I've applied it in all sorts of different ways. And then for me, expecting success was all about removing my tendency 
to self-sabotage when I get too good enough. So I have like, I have a a tendency to say, oh, this is good enough and then stop working or stop trying because it's quote unquote good enough and saving myself from the potential failure of not being able to hit a bigger goal or not being able to stretch a little further or not following through. And so expecting success was as much about following through as it was making a plan for what will happen when I do really well, as opposed to always have a a contingency about how I'm going to fail. (laughs) Yes. For us, worst case scenario planners, I think think that's crucial. It's a crucial. I am very much in that camp and I love a worst case scenario and I am not giving up my worst case scenarios, but at the same time, I think it's very helpful to have a best case scenario plan. And I have found that I think I have failed more often or I've made mistakes more often when I've failed to plan for success or when I have failed to follow through because I just, I got good enough and I didn't need Mm -hmm. any more than that. Then when things have actually gone really wrong, like things don't actually go really wrong very often. And so I need less of the worst case scenario planning and more of the best case scenario planning. Yes. That was a big lesson for me too, is that I had to start doing the best case scenario, like just turning it around and being like, what if everything went right? What would that look like? How would that feel? What other things would I have to think about as failure points along the way so that I could plan for that as well? If it goes beyond your wildest dreams. So I love that. So with this idea of commitments, because it's such a an interesting way to look at the world and look at what you want to accomplish, can you take me back to the moment when you first came up with the idea of, oh, I'm going to focus on commitments? What was happening? Yeah. So I should say that the ideas, like the the filters, the lenses, the actual commitments themselves were things that I had started to develop before I could name them, oh, these are the things that I'm most committed to. So for instance, a couple of years ago, one of my commitments before I called them that was working the system. Again, like this was a Mm. lesson that I really needed to learn as an entrepreneur who really likes reinventing the wheel Mm -hmm. and breaking things that aren't broken. And I just needed to get really good at finding the system and working it over and over again. So that kind of thing had really started to bubble up for me as a way of orienting my action, orienting my planning, being a compass for how I wanted to show up. But it wasn't really until last August, last September, when I put my finger on commitment as the barometer for how I wanted to plan and how I wanted to make decisions about how I was spending my time and energy. And what was going on at that time was that I was, like so many people, severely overcommitted. I had tried to do so many things and so many things I had no business doing (laughs) because I thought they sounded cool or somebody said, oh, you'd be good at that. Like I am such a victim when it comes to if someone tells me, oh, you'll be good at that, then clearly that must mean I should do it. Right. So at that point in time, I was running the business that I had for 10 years. I was launching a brand new business with my husband. I was 
was teaching bouldering classes at my climbing gym, and I was the head route setter at my climbing gym, on top of doing other lots of other things too. But those were like all paid activities that I was Mm -hmm. dividing my time around. And I, like I said, I was severely overcommitted. And it, it was in the process of saying, I need to untangle myself from this. Do not have the bandwidth to commit to all of these things I have tried to commit to. Yes. That I was able to finally voice to myself, my goal for this year is to only commit to the things that I can make an uncompromising commit commitment to. If I cannot fully commit to it, if I cannot, or if I do not want to give it all of my time and energy or all of the time and energy that it needs to be successful, I am just not going to do it. I'm not going to yeah. half-ass it. I'm not going to try to do it. I'm not going to do it a little bit. I'm just going to say no. And I realized that this is not radical, right? This is not <laughs> earth shatteringly new. But for me at the time, I needed to be able to make that kind of break and have that kind of barometer for what I was in on and what I was out on. And commitment really became that barometer. And mm. so when I say commitment, it is a very specific thing in my mind. It is, it's me being able to say, this is what I am willing to completely give myself over to. Actually, Emily Thompson from Being Boss used a phrase on my show the other day that what that is simply a full body yes. To me, mm. commitment is a full body yes. It's a full mind yes. And it becomes a filter for everything else. So it's not just, am I going to take on this job or take on this client or make this project, but it's also this like higher level filter of what's important to me right now and how that's going to shape the way I show up, the way I act, the way I am in relationship it, so that I can create the life and work that I really want. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And it makes me think that there are probably some things that you partially love doing. How there, We always have these commitments that there are parts of the commitment that we're like, oh, yeah, I love this and I'm into it. And then other things that are just sucking the life out of you. So I'm wondering, like, did you have to make some, did you have to let go of some things that you liked part of it, but it wasn't that full body. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, that was the moment that I decided I needed to stop teaching bouldering classes and I needed to stop <laughs> being the head route setter at our climbing gym. And I, I, like that, obviously, that sounds so, duh, Tara, of course you needed to stop doing that. That is ridiculous. <laughs> but, but it was something that I enjoyed most of the time. It was yeah. something that I was good at most of the time. It was something that I got a certain sense of fulfillment from, but I couldn't devote myself. I couldn't commit myself to it, to the level that it needed to truly be successful and to truly be satisfying and to truly, for me, feel like I was doing a really good job at it. And I wasn't willing to commit to it at the expense of committing to the things that were that important to me. And so that's been another piece with uh, commitment is it helps me draw a line 
between what I am willing to go all in on and what I need to say. That would be great. <laughs> like legitimately, <laughs> that would be fun. That would be great. I would enjoy that, but it's not right or it's not right for me right now. And I need those kinds of lines. Even if I'm the one drawing it, even if it's a little wiggly or gray, like mm -hmm. I need those kinds of lines and I need a way of parsing my desire, parsing what I want so that I can make better decisions for myself. Yeah. Yes. There's so much there. And I'm like, oh, but I also want to know how you've created this into a workshop, a product, because I think that was like one of the great things is I have been through the Commitment Blueprint workshop and it is a lot of deep thinking, but it does get you clear on the decisions you want to make. So what were the challenges developing this idea and turning it into the workshop that you're now selling? Yeah, there were a lot of challenges. They involved a lot of deep thinking. The ideas started to coalesce all at once last fall. And I think that the probably the biggest challenge was unpacking my own thought process around it, the, my own evolution of the thoughts around commitment and what I was really doing. Because I think a lot of times people think, I've certainly thought in the past that we are like inventing these processes or these procedures or there's these systems mm -hmm. or frameworks. But for me, it has always been a process of surfacing and discovering. So, okay, yes. here's what I have been doing. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, uh, but it's working and I'm really excited about it. And I think it can help other people. So let me break that down. What are the parts? How did I come? How did I get to this point? What are some of the questions that I have been asking myself? What are some of the things that I've been talking about with other people that have really resonated? Mm. And so I started to really pay attention to those things. I talked it out with my husband. I talked it out with Shannon, our community advocate, and started to put it into a form that at least I could talk people through, even if it didn't have a complete structure yet. Yeah. And so the first step after that was presenting it as a webinar at the end of last year. I was like, I, I remember that. This with, yeah, I got to share this with somebody. So why don't I just invite like 400 of my closest friends? And, and so that very first webinar, actually, I said 400. I'm pretty sure there were 600 signups <laughs> for that first webinar. It was a really big hit. And I was like, oh, uh, I don't know what I'm doing, but clearly this is something that people are interested in and want. And so maybe I should pay attention to that. So I did it as a webinar first. And then I reprised it uh, again as a webinar uh, just a couple of weeks later, because mm -hmm. I know that repetition is a really good way of better understanding your own ideas. Yes. So I did that. And then as we started to get into 2020, during a team meeting, we were just brainstorming different options that we had, different things that we wanted to create. We were in the midst of the project planning piece of our team planning, mm -hmm. uh, which has made it into the commitment blueprint, oddly enough. Anyhow, and... We were starting, to, we were talking about how much the webinar was a big hit. We were also talking about how so many of our 
community members and mastermind members really loved the sort of bullet journal setup that I'd created for myself in Notion. And a lot mm-hmm. of them were starting to use it for themselves. And we started to think, okay, can we put these things together and could this be a product. So I built out that bullet journal as to what is now our leadership dashboard. And I took the webinar that I had taught and broke it up into four or eight sort of mini modules. Mm -hmm. And I included that in the leadership dashboard along with a bunch of other guidance around choosing strategic priorities for your business, project planning, setting up your week so that you are more in control of how you spend your time and you're mo- more focused on what matters most, choosing key metrics, the, all sorts mm-hmm. of things like that. And it was all embedded into this product. We put it out into the world and it was a huge hit again. And we're like, okay, something is really interesting here. And we knew it was, it still wasn't like the end. There's Mm -hmm. another evolution to this. So shortly after that's when we started thinking about, is this a program? Is this a workshop? Is this something that we can do with people on a regular basis to really get them involved in the process and, and make sure that they're not just hoping to do it, but that they're actually doing it with us. And so that's when we developed uh, the four-part live workshop series, which is where we are right now. Who knows what the next evolution of it will be, (laughs) but that's where we are right now. Wow. There's a few key takeaways I think that are super important is, I think the first thing that I as I, as you're talking, it's that importance that we don't understand our own process and having your husband, having Shannon, having other people to bounce your ideas off of and help you talk through that and reflect back to you. I mean, hugely important in figuring out like, what's my process here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think really important at that point in time too was documentation. We talk about documenting business systems all the time, documenting standard operating procedures. But I am largely, I have always largely worked in my head as lots Mm -hmm. of people do, much to our detriment. Yes, I'm familiar (laughs) Um, with this. Yeah. And as I had mentioned earlier, one of my commitments a couple of years back was working the system. And so I had really gotten into this habit of documenting things and working with a process over time and refining it. And I think had I not done that, I probably could not have surfaced the commitment blueprint process in the same way that I did over the last year and a half. Because I think a lot of what I saw in that process was from the documentation of just how I was working on a day-to-day basis, what I was paying attention to, Mm -hmm. how I was directing and leading myself. And so that was a really big part of actually figuring out what my process was in the first place. Yes. And the other reflection I have, which I thought was really interesting, is that you decided to put it out there as a webinar, which is the exact same thing I did with the three word rebellion. When I had that idea, I was like, I think this could be a thing. I'm not exactly sure what it is 100%, but I'm going to put it out there and see if other people are interested. (laughs) 
it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea what it could be. I just thought, oh, this would be a good way to get in front of some new people and to mm-hmm. re-spark my relationship with people who might have fallen off. Because I like, I knew the idea of it was going to be a hit, <laughs> whether the process was or not. <laughs> and I love teaching live. I love kind of being with people, even virtually and especially virtually, actually. That's how I prefer to be with people. <laughs> and yeah. And so putting it out free and saying, hey, what do you think about this was a no-brainer for me. It's how I've almost always operated. And so really turning it into a product was probably, even though I have plenty of history of developing digital products and and experiences, like that was almost a little bit more of a leap because I I just, I felt like, I don't know, is this special? Is this something that Mm -hmm. people are willing to spend money on? Michelle popping in again because Tara is making such an important point here, and I want you to remember that. When Tara is thinking about turning an idea into an offer, she is approaching it with a spirit of experimentation. It's like, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm willing to find out. And I just want to say, like, if you have an idea in your head, don't hesitate to put it out into the world. Approach it with that, ooh, let's see if this works. Let's see if it doesn't work. Because either way, you get feedback. Okay, gonna let Tara get back at it. Turns out they are, for sure. But yeah, yeah, it was, it was, yes. So yes to throwing ideas out into the world for free and seeing what happens. Exactly. I think that is such a key. It's like some people are like, I'm just going to, this is my precious idea and I'm just going to work on it and not tell anyone. It's like, nope, put it out there. See what happens. (laughs) So one final question before we go into our lightning round, but what ahas did you have while developing the commitment blueprint that could help other people who are listening right now turn their vague idea into an offer? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that one of my ahas around the commitment blueprint is giving people space. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to help anyone turn their idea into a program or an offer, but it was... It's been something that I've incorporated in the past, but this is definitely the most uh, useful, I think, incorporation of space, but also the most engaging incorporation of space. The Commitment Blueprint has a lot of working time in it. So the way we Mm -hmm. offer it now is that it's four 90-minute sessions. Often the sessions go a little over 90 minutes because I give people too much time to work. (laughs) But the goal for me is that they're not learning during the workshop. They're doing during the workshop. And that, I think, is a direction that more digital products Mm. need to go, that more digital experiences need to go. There's so Mm -hmm. much information out there. People, by and large, don't need more information. They need the container to apply that information. And so the commitment blueprint, my goal with it from the very beginning, including from that very first webinar, was to build a container that let people do the work that they needed to do. Similarly, in creating that container for people to do the work that they needed to do, I also am very careful to not be overly prescriptive with the process. So I do share the process. There is a clear framework. It's very step-by-step and it layers on top of, there's layers on top of layers. You kind of work from the bottom up or 
really you work from big picture down to to finite details. Mm -hmm. But within that, I have a constant reminder that if there's a piece of this that isn't landing for you, if that's not how your brain works, if that's not how you like to track your work, if those aren't the priorities that you have for your business, you have permission and you don't need my permission, but you have you you are in control here. So much of the commitment blueprint is about getting away from these kind of rigid goal setting frameworks that we've had in the past. Yes, and so I really like to double down on that and remind people at the beginning of every session and throughout every session, you make this process work for you. I will guide you. I will give you feedback. I will share my experiences and my observations with you. But we are co-creating in this process. This isn't just me teaching you. And I think that's probably something that could be helpful to a lot of people because I think we, as idea people, we, and thought Mm. leaders even, we feel like we have to have all the answers, but we don't. We can be in a process of co-creation with the people who are looking to us for guidance and leadership. And I think that's a really powerful relationship to have, even in a business relationship. Yes. And what's interesting about this idea around space is that as the creator of the offer, the product, it actually makes you think, what actions do I want them to take? So I'm Mm -hmm. teaching them this concept and I want to give them space to do what? And I think there are so many classes and courses and workshops that are so focused on the teaching and not enough on the doing and implementing of teaching that I think that space component is so key to develop something that people are actually going to act on and use. Yeah. Yeah. And I would like to throw in into the same bucket uh, as acting and implementation, thinking and processing. Mm-hmm. And to for me, I really like to call that out, that this is not just about you executing something. Sometimes you just need space to sit with this question and not have an answer for it or like mm-hmm. process through as many different answers as you can come up with you know, with as possible. And that is not a learning experience that we are conditioned to have, at least in the Western American education system, right? Mm -hmm. It's you learn something, you regurgitate it, or you learn something and then you do something. Whereas for me, the commitment blueprint process and so much of the teaching, training, educational work that I do is more like, I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to give you some ideas of how it could be applied. And now I want you to take time And think about it because you need space to think and process Mm -hmm. before you can take effective action. Now, you also have to take effective action, (laughs) but thinking and processing is a really important piece of that as well. Yes, yes. All right, Tara, are you ready for the lightning round with three-word rebellion questions? I'm going to try. I get really nervous before lightning rounds. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Very lightning. I know. First thing that comes to your mind. So what's the one thing you're rebelling against? 
The first thing that comes to mind is this interview that I heard with Sonia Renee Taylor, who wrote The Body is Not an Apology. Uh, it was an interview with, yeah, <laughs> it was an interview with Brene Brown. And in this interview, she talked about the ladder. In other words, the hierarchy that we are constantly trying to move up. And so much of my goal-orientedness, achievement-orientedness is trying to move up the ladder, mm -hmm. move up that hierarchy. And so absolutely one of the, the thing I am working on rebelling against right now. And so the, everything of my work is organized around rebelling against the ladder and hierarchy. Ooh. Yeah. I heard that interview too. And that ladder hierarchy, I was like, oh man, how am I climbing that ladder in my life? Crap. So many ways. Oh, <laughs> so related, what change do you want to create in the world? Yeah, very related. <laughs> I want people to have more agency. I want people to feel like they have the power to make the best choices that they can make for them. It is something that has been a thread through my education, through my work in with small business owners, something that is very important to me as an individual, finding my own agency. Mm -hmm. And so much of the commitment blueprint and rebelling against hierarchy is also an effort to find my own sense of agency and help equip others to find their own. All right. So if everyone acted on your ch on this change, on having more agency, the power to choose, what do you think the world would be like? I think we would have more independent thought. I think we would have less tribalism. I think we would have stronger, more inclusive, more accessible communities. And I think we would have some really incredibly creative solutions to problems that have been plaguing us for a really long time. Tara, I could literally talk to you all day, but I won't. So tell people where they can find you. <laughs> Yeah, the best place to find me is at explorewhatworks.com. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you should totally listen to the What Works podcast too. So whatever app you are listening to Rebel Uprising on, you can find What Works and you can hear me talking with small business owners about building stronger businesses. Thank you so much, Tara. This was fantastic. Thank you. What a great episode. I had so many of my own ahas hearing about how Tara developed this idea. But I want to know what you think. A question for reflection. How could commitments be added to your own business and life planning? And do you feel that commitments over goals is something that would be helpful for you? Please feel free to let me know your thoughts on this. My DMs are always open to you on Instagram. I'm at Dr. Michelle Mazer. However, before you dive deep into thinking and answering that question, it might be helpful to have another example of commitments and what they look like and how they're used. So here are my commitments for 2021. Number one, show up fully. This one is already kicking my ass. I will be honest because this means I have to show up fully for anything I've decided to participate in, whether that's a free webinar or a meeting that I'm going to. But a helpful filter is to think about this um, 
it, can I show up fully to this event? Can I show up fully to this program I'm considering buying? And that's really helping me make decisions about what to commit to and not to commit to. So I'm hoping this one will end up preserving my time and my energy in the long run, even though it's really hard right now. <laughs> the second commitment I have is receive goodness. I have a tough time receiving goodness. I have a tough time receiving compliments. And it's just a struggle to me. One of my coaches, Tanya Geisler, once told me that compliments just bounce right off of me. They just go, oh, you say something nice, it bounces off and I don't take it in. So this year, I'm actively receiving the goodness that I get from listeners, that I get from my clients, that I get from my husband, and letting that come in and pierce my armor. The third one that I think you're going to be hearing me talk about on future podcasts is cherish my creations. I have been creating shit for nine years now. Nine years. You would not believe how much content I have. And I've treated most of it like it's disposable. I spend all this time creating it, and then I don't do anything with it beyond like share it a couple of times on social media. And uh, that stops. I think we have just been raised to think that we always need to be on this content hamster wheel. And no, if we're putting hard work and creating remarkable content, then we should cherish that. We should share it more. So the question this is making me ask is how can I be more intentional about new creations and show them off to the world? How can I cherish what I've already created? So how about you? What commitments could you make this year to drive your life and business forward? And before we go, I'm excited to announce that I have several new services to help you create your messaging and then implement that messaging into your marketing of sales. Because part of cherishing my creations is cherishing what I co-create with my clients. And nothing satisfies me more than seeing your message launch into the world via your marketing. So if you've ever been thinking about working with me one-on-one. Now is the perfect time to do it. So you can check out my new services guide and download it at drmichellemazur.com slash guide. That's drmichellemazur.com slash guide. And I can't wait to create your three-word rebellion and get it in front of the people who need your work. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the show. Your support means the world to me. Did you know the Rebel Uprising podcast has a quiz that can help you pinpoint the number one way to build an audience of super fans while staying true to your unique personality? We do, and it's called What's Your Rebel Roadmap to Exponential Impact and Influence? And you can take it at therebelquiz.com. If you're loving the podcast, do us a favor, rate and leave us a quick five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps more people like you find the show. Until next week, remember, your ideas matter. And now get back out there and cause an uprising in your industry. You got this.